Hello and welcome. You're listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. My name's Jennifer Huber, and I'm the Communications Director at Faith Bible. Each week, I'm going to sit down and speak with Pastor Brad about the message we heard on Sunday and a forward look to what we have coming up next week. Through casual conversation, we will explore additional thoughts to the text, additional ways to prep for the coming Sunday, and not only that, we're going to grow in our love and understanding and knowledge of God's Word. Now, let's jump to the conversation. So listeners, um, in case you missed Pastor Brad's sermon on Sunday, I encourage you to go back on our website. You can also go anywhere you stream your podcast and pull up our sermon audio and get caught up on what Pastor Brad spoke about Sunday. But I am going to let him do the recap for us. We always like to start the episode with just that little bit of Sunday recap, just to catch everyone up, refresh our memories of those that were there. Um, But before we jump into that, um, I always like to ask the question, what did the Myers do this weekend? Anything exciting we should should hear about? The last two weeks where we had things that were exciting, um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of highlight. You know, uh, sermon prep and writing papers is not an overly exciting thing to announce (laughs) that I, I did. We... Yeah, we didn't do a whole lot that was super exciting this last weekend. It was a little colder outside, and so we stayed inside a little bit more. Um, it was busy, but uh, kind of typical. It's definitely so, looking like weather changes, isn't it? The I leaves think, are falling. My my I daughter the, didn't get a play in the leaves like she was hopeful <laughs> to do. Daddy mowed them. <laughs> I'm trying to remember <laughs> so. what. It was some day last week, and I was at I was at work, and, and Jenna texted pictures of they're raking up all the leaves, uh-huh. and the kids are playing the leaves. So then in the evening... We got all the leaves pulled up and we took them all away. And then that next, we had that really bad windstorm. Yes. Like that next time. And they like, all came back. All the rest of the leaves fell <laughs> down. And well, like half time. my leaves are in my neighbor's yard and I feel <laughs> terrible about it. But what do you do? So. You know, next time call Isabel because she had all these plans that she was going to play in the leaves. And then daddy did a one last mow through. And I mean, testament to our mower. It doesn't look like fall on our yard at all. So mm-hmm. she was very disappointed. But... I expect a windstorm to bring some back. So. I, I am happy for you guys and your mower, and I'm sorry for Isabel, though our yard is still available Perfect. Like, for the record. So. I will let her know. I'm sure we'll be out there really soon. <laughs> there we go. Well, that's good. I had a good weekend. I got to get together with um, the women in our small group. Um, we're all married with children. Some have young children. Some have a grown children. And so we got to get together and have some breakfast on Saturday while the Husker game was going on. Oh, so dear. sacrilege. I know. I know. So the restaurant was nice and open for us. So um, just another encouragement. If you are not plugged into a small group at Faith, I highly encourage you because it was just such a refreshing time and, and to walk through with believers and to be encouraged. So um, that was my weekend. And then we had church on Sunday and spent some time with the family. And here we are. Good. So Good. It sounds like we had productive weekends. I think so. Fulfilling weekends. It was good. All right, let's get into it. Would you do a recap for us on your message from yesterday? Yeah. Listeners, if you you missed the message or or the the whole service, it it was a great time together. We celebrated communion. We had some time in prayer focused on the persecuted church around the world. I I really enjoyed all that leading into. And maybe the message felt a little disjointed from some of those things because our topic was singleness. Uh, you know, we were in First <laughs> Corinthians true. 7, uh, verses 25 through 40, um, talking about how we need to embrace both an eternal and a practical perspective on singleness, just a biblical understanding of singleness. Uh, there's a lot of things that our world says about both singleness and marriage that isn't really true. And yeah. the Bible kind of cuts across that grain. And Paul writing, as somebody that wasn't married himself, speaking to kind of the situation and the unique realities of singleness. Um, so basically, we had b- six big takeaways related to singleness from these texts. 
And uh, the first was singleness is preferable to marriage at times. And that's kind of like, that's a little strange to some of us, right? You know, we know Genesis 1 and 2, right? And God creates man and then he, he creates Eve. And like, and then we're like, okay, so this is the paradigm sort of thing. And, and marriage has probably been the normal course of most people's lives over the course of his human history. And yet there's always been this aspect of singleness going on. And, and Paul speaks into that reality and says like, there are times in people's lives in different seasons or in different circumstances that the church is in where singleness is preferable to marriage actually, which is a good reminder for us, especially yeah. as married people, we tend sure. to lose sight of some of that and that reality. You know, Christ was single, Paul was single. These things are important to remember. The second thing was that single this prevents the worldly troubles of marriage. Like there are troubles and there are problems that come with being married. And the practical reality is that singleness, you don't have to deal with some of those things. Um, we talked about how going on vacation is a whole lot easier when you're single than when you're married. There are ministry. remember those days. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a, a distant memory, it feels like it sometimes. But there are practical things that are easier about being single. Um, it also avoids some of the anxieties, some of the challenges and the, and the frustrations, and even some of the, the, the fights and disputes that go on within uh, a marriage. Um, in order to, our fourth point, was devote undivided attention to the Lord. You know, Paul speaks of how being single is an opportunity for their focusing their undivided attention on the Lord. In verse 35, he says, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And it's a good reminder in these seasons, whether we're single for the rest of our lives or whether we're single for just a season, um, that God has given us that extra time and that opportunity to devote it to pursuing Him. And it kind of places singleness in the right place for us. Um, fifth, we talked about singleness means prioritizing obedience over desires. You know, Paul's very practical with the realities of the challenges when it comes to uh, passions and desires when you're single, you know. And there's challenges like that when you're married as well. Like, it's not like everything is just easy because you're married. But obviously, the whole issue of, you know, celibacy that we talked about a couple weeks ago with marriage, like, there's, there's unique challenges that come to being single. And so he speaks kind of to that situation of, like, how do we handle that? What do we do? And he doesn't give anyone an a permission to be disobedient to God and a permission um, to entertain lustful thoughts or anything like that. But he does recognize that there's unique challenges. And if there's some of that, pursuing marriage is not a sin. And that's the big thing he was speaking against since that's what the ascetic teachers were talking about. And then lastly, our sixth point was that every marriage ends in singleness. And it's a good reminder for us to be just like our, our world, and we talked about this, sings about and makes movies about and and they lived happily ever after, or right, they were forever happy. You know, and like that's that's the vision that we cast, but that's not really how marriage ends. Like not biblically. Like in ultimately in marriage, one spouse passes away or the other first, mm-hmm. right? Typically, unless they pass away at the same time, which yeah. does happen. Yeah. And like that's a reality that we need to consider that our marriages are not forever. And a lot of that, and we didn't get a whole lot of time to go into this in the message, but a lot of that is related to the fact that marriage is to point to a greater reality, right, of Christ and his bride, the church. And so on the one hand, all of us that are married in this life, um, in human terms, will be single, quote unquote, in heaven. Mm-hmm. At the same time, everyone that is has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and is a part of the church is in some level married to Christ now as the right relationship and the right place that's supposed to go. And so it's kind of one of these odd things where we tend to get very focused on my singleness in this life or my married life in this life. And I think Paul puts some perspective into it for us and says, like, you're not as single as you think you are, and you're not as married as you think you are, if I can put it that way. So again, on Sunday, we, we are bound by time. Yeah. We yeah. are all bound by time. And so what is something that you would encourage us as as listeners to, um, what are some areas that you would you would want to expound on for us? Do you want to give me five more minutes on a specific part of the message, or were there some more points that you didn't get to? 
Yeah, just by way of like practical implication, probably some people may be finding themselves asking if they're in that single state, like when is singleness preferable, right? Because that first point was singleness is preferable to marriage at times. And it seems to be contextually driven. Again, that was part of the argument I was making that there are times when Paul encourages marriage and there are times that he kind of encourages them to stay, right? He says there's this present distress. And so the first thing would be there are situations of crisis, maybe might be the right way to put it, where marriage isn't a good option. You know, you think a lot of people had to wrestle with that, like, when World War II started and they were engaged and they're like, okay, so do we get married before I go off to war or do we not get married? There are seasons that are kind of like that where you're trying to figure out, is this a good decision, you know, to make in light of where the trajectory of our lives are headed? Um, Some of those kind of things are worth taking into consideration. Um, And to some degree, as believers, we're always in wartime. You know, not physically, our countries aren't necessarily at war, but like we are engaged in a spiritual conflict. And so there's the potential in situations of persecution and situations of, uh, you know, crisis like that, that is probably wise, it's probably prudent uh, to either temporarily or permanently refrain from marriage. But those aren't laws. Again, you know, to, to Paul's point, that's not like this, strictly speaking, you must or must not do. The other thing that I would encourage people to consider, and I don't know that they take a lot of time, is like, do I have the maturity to understand what marriage is about and to engage in that. Like, uh, oftentimes we rush into things and then we realize we weren't really prepared for it very well. Yeah. yeah. And the the high standard that that Scripture places on, and particularly in like Ephesians 5 or 1 Peter 3, on the roles of husbands and wives and the way they should treat each other, that's that's a pretty difficult standard. Like, it's a, it's a high expectation. And it doesn't mean that any of us go in totally knowing or being the person we need to be in our marriage. But... I think sometimes people are always, they're so worried looking for the right person for them. They forget to be like, am I the type of person that I would want to be married to? Yeah, you know, like, am, am I mature enough to enter into this with eyes open sort of idea? And the last one I would just say is like, take some time to check you know, motivation. Like, why do you want to be, why do you want to be married? You know, because there's a lot of bad motivations to be married. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? This idea that like, I found the person that completes me. Even some of what we touched on in the message, like, it's like, I I can't stay morally pure, mm-hmm. so therefore s- marriage is the solution. Well, marriage isn't the solution. Marriage is kind of a Band-Aid on the problem, right? right? Like, so that's not a good reason to get married. Or like, there's something not right about my life. I just need a change, so I'm going to get married? You know, I've heard some of those kind of arguments. Those those aren't good reasons to get married. I would, I would encourage people to go back to that question we talked about in the message. Like, is marrying this person is pursuing this relationship going to further or hinder my personal ministry and my devotion to Christ? If, if, if it's something where you're going to push each other on, you're going to spur each other on to, to godliness, mm-hmm. wonderful, go for it. If something's going to be a problem or it's going to pull you back, yeah, that's, a, that's a warning flag. You need to be a little concerned about that. So, so as far as some of those situations, when there's sometimes what if I was sitting down across the table with somebody and they were explaining their situation, I might go, oh, I might pump the brakes on this at this point as far as remaining single for, for a season. Yeah. The second thing that I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time and we just ran out of time on is that section right in the heart of this text, 29 through 31, that talked about there is this limited opportunity for ministry, right? He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And then he finishes that section with, for the present form of this world is passing away. Like, and, and that is something that I think at times we really tend to lose sight of. We get so consumed with the here and now. We get so consumed with the concerns of this life. And mostly it's even good things. You know, yeah. it's, it's God's good gift that take us off of our focus for pursuing God. You know, it's our, it's our family. It's our, it's our marriage. It's our job. It's our, you know, the 
situations of life that we're in, you know. I mean, good endeavors, things that are good gifts from God, but things that are not intended to be ultimate. And so when Paul goes through that list, I'm like, let those who have wives live like they had none. He's not saying don't care about your family. He's just saying your wife isn't your God, right? Like, let those who mourn as though they are not mourning. Well, Christians mourn. It's not like we're never sad. It's not like we're just going to church, pretend like we're happy and that sort of idea. But he's like, we mourn, but we mourn with an eternal perspective, realizing there's a bigger picture, right? We rejoice with an eternal perspective, Mm -hmm. knowing that the joys of this world are not all there is. We buy things and sell things, but we use them for the good of people, right? Not for the possession of the thing itself. And so we can say those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, right? First Peter, we're strangers and aliens. We fundamentally do not fit. As a believer, you should feel this disconnect. You should feel disconnected or disjointed from this world because on an identity level, you don't belong here. And so, like, that's, that's a worthwhile thing for us to consider. First um, John chapter 2, I think, puts it really well. He says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He just puts it into perspective there. And it's like, that's the same thing that Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians here. It was like, the present form of the world is passing away. What you see in front of you won't last forever. And I think that was a worthwhile thing to consider a little bit uh, for our people as well. The last thing that I might include on this subject is, is my final point as far as marriage, marriage ending. Like all marriages have a termination date. Yeah. And that can be a really difficult concept to consider because it's like, well, are you telling me not to devote time and attention to my marriage? Absolutely not. Yeah. On Sunday when you said like, that, I thought, okay, where are we going with this? What is this going to look like? <laughs> yes, right, because obviously Scripture and, and Christ and the church puts a high premium on our marriages. It's one of the, I mean, next to our relationship with Christ, it is the highest priority we have in our lives. Right? Our marriages are even more critical in some ways than our kids, right? Because if your marriage is bad, then you're going to cause problems with the kids, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's like it flows down. If your relationship with Christ is bad, your marriage is going to be bad. Like there, yeah. there's this triple down sort of effect Absolutely. that takes place. But like in, in Matthew, it, it's, it's really intriguing um, the way Christ answers this question. He's getting, he's getting questioned by the Sadducees related to the resurrection, and they're, they're trying to catch him in his words, and they're trying to get him to say something that is going to be unpopular with the people. So they bring this whole illustration about a man being married to multiple wives, right, thinking that's their trump card. They're going to catch Jesus in, in the corner here. And he doesn't fall for it, number one. But number two, he responds this way, which is really, really intriguing, right? He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Okay. We don't understand what everything he means there, right? And we probably won't until we get to heaven. But at the very least, what he's saying is, you're asking a question about the resurrection via marriage. Your argument is invalid because the marriage doesn't continue into the resurrection. Okay. Like, and and that's an important thing. It it doesn't mean what he's not saying is there will be no relationship, right? Because heaven's very clear that like we're going to see loved ones and we're going to see people that we recognize, and there's going to be a a continuity from what we see in this life. But what he is saying is like the, the tie that, that functioned there in the, in the marriage relationship is going to be different in heaven. And I would make the argument personally that like it's going to be better, right? Because in heaven, we're going to have this perfect restored relationship with Christ. We're going to understand what relational intimacy was really about because we're going to know Christ better. But also because of that, we're going to have better fellowship with one another. 
and all of our relationships with each other, including, I believe, our spouse, assuming you're both believers, okay. is going to be better than it was in this world. Because we're not wearing the weight of the worldly sin exactly. and the flesh desires. Exactly. And the sort of intimacy that we had in this world was meant to reflect a greater reality, the sort of relational intimacy we'll have with Christ and the sort of relational transparency and authenticity that we're supposed to have with each other, right, that was broken in Genesis 3. You know, in, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, right, when you've got Adam and Eve, you've got they were walking in the garden naked, and that wasn't a problem, right? right? And that's... They didn't that's even kind, know. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of metaphorical. Like, yeah. it's like there's this vulnerability and authenticity and transparency they were able to have because nobody was sinning and, and like, holding things out from each other. It was yeah. just honesty. And so, like, there's... Again, we could talk about the reality, you know, all the details about what that means, and don't take me saying more than I'm saying, but, like, there's a better future in store than even what marriage can be in this world that I think God has in store for us. And so remembering that God is doing something in you and in your spouse through your marriage today, and you're called to be faithful to that, but it's not ultimate. There is a greater reality that's that we're pursuing as we look forward to the future and life with Christ in heaven. I just think as you speak, what a day, right? Exactly. What a day that will be. I think Maranatha. that's an old hymn, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I took so many notes on Sunday. I'm looking over my notes as we speak now, and it's exactly what you said. When we're looking to make those decisions, how will this choice help or hinder my relationship? And not to – the grass is always greener no matter what side you're on. But I'm sitting here <laughs> right. listening going, there's one place it's greener, and that's heaven. Exactly. That's the eternal home. And exactly. so, um, yeah, thank you for those those extra five minutes. I could – could you give about five more? Yeah, I, was gonna, I, I don't know that I managed five in that first time. but uh, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I'm not counting. It's more of a metaphorical five. So Very I think good. our listeners will understand. Guidelines rather yeah. than rules. I like yeah. it. Mm. Well, it was great. Is there anything else you want to – this is your last chance to, to wrap up Chapter 7 for us? Man, I don't, I don't know. Like we've, we you spent a lot it, of time. You covered it well, I believe. Yeah, I was hoping, like, it, it felt like I had to move pretty quickly. When I originally laid it out, I went three weeks on Chapter 7. That should be enough, right? And then you get into it, and you're like, man, there's so much here. I, it, is, it is so hard. I, you know, I mean, there was encouragement for the singles there. I hope, I hope Sunday was encouraging for those that were single. Um, I would encourage them to really consider those questions, like, why do I want to be married? Why don't I want to be married? Is it about me? Is it about God? Is it about my wholeness and the perception of the world, or is it about my holiness and what God is doing in my life? Take some time to consider those things, because those are hard questions. But yeah. would you give us a forward look into Sunday and some things that maybe we should be doing to prepare for yeah. Sunday? How about some homework? You're, <laughs> you're on the receiving end of homework right now. How about you dive out the homework this yeah. time? As long as there's no papers or quizzes or anything like that, I'm happy Ooh. to give out it. Out homework for people. I went to a Bible college, so I know all about papers. Very familiar. Very yeah. familiar. The thing is, well, like we're working through, it, we're entering chapter three, if I can say, as we move through First Corinthians. Chapter one was basically their divisions over leadership. You know, their struggles with who's in charge and this kind of hero worship that they were that they were struggling with. Chapter two was chapters five through seven, right? Dealing with kind of these practical morality things, and they were disagreeing over what to do about these moral issues suits in the church and and sin in the church and this, you know, intimacy and marriage and singleness and all these other things. In chapter 8, we shift topics a bit. We, he, he picks up their third question that they're actually asking him, and I, I have labeled basically chapters 8, 9, and 10 um, when they start disagreeing about rights and freedoms, right? So they start having this struggle with their freedom in Christ and their liberty and, and the way they're, they're executing that in relationship with one another and the way they're exercising their rights and freedoms and hurting each other, 
right? So 8, 9, and 10 starts to lead. It's kind of a hinge where Paul starts to move into. And Paul is writing to this dysfunctional church, right? And he's, he's talked about the source of their pride and their arrogance, and that's where all of this is coming from. And now he's going to start offering the antidote, right? That, like, love is not this arrogant, puffed-up pride. It is, it is this self-deprecating, this self not self-serving, but others-focused, others-serving sort of idea. So in, in chapters in chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, which we'll be covering on Sunday, he starts into that conversation, right? And he deals particularly with the question of, like, what do we do with food offered to idols? Which is a contextually, culturally relevant question. But really he deals more with the heart of the matter, which is more of this idea of, like, what does love look like, mm. given that some of you struggle with this issue and some of you don't struggle with this issue? The, the parallel passage that I'd encourage people to read in addition to reading 1 Corinthians 8, which is only 13 verses, so it's not okay. too bad, uh, would be Romans 14, the classic weaker brother, not putting a stumbling block in the way of your brother or sister in Christ. So read Romans 14 would be an encouragement, right? Because Paul jumps in right here, and I, I just love his words here right at the beginning of chapter 8. Uh, All possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God, right? And so he begins introducing this this theme of love, which ultimately, and this is the section that everybody knows, Uh kind of comes to a climax at the end of chapter 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Right, And so he's, he's speaking to this church that was arrogant and thought they had all this knowledge. And he's saying, let me show you what Christian love looked like. Let me show you what God's love for you looked like. Let me show what your, your love for each other should look like. All right, Brad, thank you for that. Um, so we are to read 1 Corinthians 8, and you suggest Romans 14. If you're looking for a little extra credit, it would be Romans yeah. 14. Very good. Now, is this graded on a curve? <laughs> Isn't everything? Like, right. do they even not do that right. anymore? Right. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm not sure that God grades on a curve, so it's, it's up to you. <laughs> All right. That's it for our Sunday recap and our forward look. Thanks for sitting down again today, Brad. My pleasure. And uh, listeners, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you Sunday. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recaps.